right. I'm going to start off just a disclaimer. If I cough, I've been getting over a cold, so I apologize if I cough in the middle of this. Please forgive me if that happens. I want to. Uh, we are continuing in our series, Time, Talent, and Treasure. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how to biblically steward the things that God has given us, our time, our talent, and our treasure. And this morning, we are beginning the conversation on how to steward our treasure well. So how to steward our money in our possessions. Now, Brent did the past four sermons, and then he split out of town and let me take this one. Um, but we're going to start this morning with uh, a trust exercise as a church. I, need, I want everyone in the room, I need everyone in the room, I want you to grab your wallet. This is a trust exercise. First service did really good at this. Everyone grab your wallet, your pocketbook, whatever is holding your money, and hold it up in your hand like this. I'm going to give you a second. First service did really well with this. We did good. See how second service can do it, okay? We're going to do this as a trust exercise now. Everyone's got your wallet, your pocketbook, the thing holding your money. All right, now here's what you do. Step number two, I want you to look for someone that you didn't come with. Look for not your spouse, not your person you came with. So someone around you, and I want you to give it to them. Give it to someone that you did not come with in the aisles next to you. Maybe in front of you, behind you, around you. People in the balcony are lucky. They're kind of further apart. They can't do that. Don't panic. No one needs to panic. How are we all feeling? Are we okay? No, everyone's anxiety is going up a little bit, a little bit. Okay, well, now there's one last step. Ushers, if you will please come forward. We're going to take an offering, and I want all of you to give like you've always wanted to give with that. I'm just, I'm just kidding. You can give your wallets back now. And give your. Um, I love that we are calling this portion of the, of the series Treasure because uh, our wallets, our money, these are things that are a treasure to us. Um, they're very valuable to us, and for good reason. Without money, it's hard to live. Um, for that reason, we aim to steward our money well, and that is why my um, guess is that many of you were nervous when someone else was holding your wallet, because that's, that's your life in many ways in their hand. Money is such a significant part of our life, and the Bible recognizes this. The Bible points this out to us so obviously. Um, the, uh, according to Forbes magazine, the topic of money is addressed in the Bible 800 times. 800 times. In addition to that, the makers of the Jesus film say that Jesus talks about money in the Gospels more than faith and prayer combined. In the Gospels, he talks more about money. 11 of his 40 parables are concerning money. Money. So Jesus definitely wants to speak into this area of our lives. He does not want us to not talk about it. He does not want us to assume he wants to speak clearly into this area of our lives. So this morning, we're going to let him do that. Now, this morning, I'm going to focus specifically kind of on, the, uh, on money as it relates to giving to the needs of the church. And then Brent next week is going to kind of expand out from there. But with that being said, let's dive into our passage. We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 7, but before we read that, let me give us a little bit of context of what is going on here. Paul has been going to his different churches that he's planted, and he's been asking them to contribute, excuse me, to an offering that he is gathering for some, for some of the Christians. So the Christians in Jerusalem, what we know is that at this time, there was likely a pretty severe famine going on. So they were the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering, they were becoming impoverished, and they were just in great material need. And so Paul is going around, 
to all these churches. He's writing to them. He's asking for them to give to this offering, to give to the Christians in Jerusalem. And that is the part of 2 Corinthians that we are hopping into, where Paul is asking the Corinthians to give. And this is where we pick up in verse 7. But before we start reading, let me just say, I've got three points this morning. Number one is this. Giving is an obligation. And we're going to look into that now. Number one, or sorry, excuse me, verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Paul writes, each one, speaking to the Corinthians, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So two things stand out right there. Number one, no member of the Corinthian church is exempted from giving. Paul writes, each one of you must give. So no person is exempt from giving to meet the needs of the church. And this is not just in the, the case in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is also the case throughout Scripture. In the book of Acts chapter 4, the believers are together, and it says in verse 34 that there was not a needy person among the believers because the believers were giving to one another, and they were actually selling their treasures and giving of their treasures to meet the needs of each other. So no one in the church is excluded from giving. White collar, blue collar, we are all obligated to give of our treasure to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's the first thing we need to note from that, that verse. The second thing is this. Giving is an obligation, but giving should be a cheerful obligation. Paul writes, each one must give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves cheerful giver. Giving should not be an arduous thing. It should not be like going to the dentist. Anyone not like going to the dentist? I do not like going to the dentist. Giving should not be like going to the dentist. It shouldn't be like cleaning out the gutters. It shouldn't be like doing the laundry. It shouldn't be something that we just do because God's word says for us to, just because we are obligated to do it. No, Paul says giving should be a cheerful Act. It should be celebratory. It should be a happy thing. It, be sh it should be something that we praise God for when we get to do it. So take a moment, and I want you to consider this question. Is giving a cheerful practice for you? Is it a celebratory practice for you and your family? Or is it a burden, something that you just have to do and maybe you wish you didn't have to do? Is it something that you wish you could do more or is it something that you wish you could do less? And let me clarify, when I'm talking about giving in this context, I'm talking about giving to the church to meet the needs of the church and to allow ministry to happen. Is this a cheerful practice? Is this a celebratory practice? Or is it a burden, something you just have to do? Something maybe you wish you didn't have to do? Church, let me tell you, God desires that our giving not be done begrudgingly. He wants our giving to be done with cheer and with happiness. He wants us to be of good cheer when <laughs> it's a holiday season. He wants us to be of good cheer when we give. He wants us to enjoy it, to love it. How then do we become the cheerful and willing givers that God desires for us to be? I believe the answer is found in our passage this morning, beginning with verse 6. Let's dive into verse 6 together. Paul writes, the point is this, 
I love it when Paul's just straight to the point. The point is this. It makes it easy for us. The point is this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap will also reap bountifully. Now, Paul kind of, so Paul basically says, he says the point is this, the one who gives in a sparing manner, the one who sows in a sparing manner, the word in Greek you could say stingy manner, the one who gives stingy in a stingy way will receive in a sparing way. While the one who gives generously, bountifully, Paul says, will receive generously. And Paul uses this image of a sower sowing seed. You can imagine a, a farmer out in their field sowing seed by hand. He's saying, um, Paul says that the one who sows generously from their store of seed, the one who takes what they have, the treasure they have, and gives generously from it, they are going to have a great harvest. Meanwhile, the farmer who sows only a few seeds here and there, who is stingy, will receive only a meager harvest. And Paul's point is this, and it is our second point this morning. Number two, giving brings forth a harvest of blessings. Now, we're going to break this down and talk about it. Paul, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that if you take two Christians, two Christians, and you stand them next to each other, the more generous of the two will be reaping a greater harvest. The more generous, like if, if one is more generous than the other, then they will be experiencing a blessing that the other is not. Their giving will reap a greater harvest. Now, Paul, I've got to make this clear from the beginning. Paul is not teaching a gospel of prosperity. Paul is not saying the one who gives more is going to receive more. If you give, God will make you rich. He's not saying that at all. He's not, that is not, that's false. He is teaching, though, that there is a harvest for the one who gives generously. So our question for us is, what is this harvest that Paul is talking about? What is the benefit for us when we give generously? What, how does that benefit us? Well, we discover the answer in the following verses. In verses 8 through 14, we discover how. We discover that God brings forth a harvest in three spheres. In our life, in the life of the church, and in the world. And we're going to talk about each of these. So Brent always has his three points. I'm upping the game. I've got three main points with three sub-points within one of my three main points. So there you go. So point number two, there, so, so our, ma our main point is there is a harvest for the like, uh, I forgot my main point. There is a harvest that comes from giving. That's it. And first in this is that there is a harvest for the individual. Church, there is a harvest for you as a Christian if you give. And Paul says this in verses 8 through 11. We're going to jump around these verses a little bit because they all, they all kind of bounce off each other and build on one another. But we're going to jump into this because Paul is making several promises promises to the Corinthians concerning what will happen if they give. We're going to start in verse 10. Verse 10, Paul, Paul writes, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, so he's talking about God. God is the supplier of food. He's the God of, who supplies everything, the seed, the treasure that we have. He's saying, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, God will supply your seed for sowing. So Paul promises the Corinthians that God is going to supply them with seed. He says, look, you're going to have things. God is going to give you things. He's going to give you treasures. You're going to have possessions. You're going to have money. God is going to give you those things. 
So God is the one who blesses us with everything that we have. Every cent in our bank account and and every item we own is from God. God gives us those things. Here's the thing. God supplies us with this treasure, with these things, as Paul says, for sowing, for giving. God is our supplier. Like a business is supplied with goods to sell, we are supplied with treasures to give of. A business doesn't receive supplies to sell and then keep it all. That would be backwards. <laughs> they sell it. A business orders goods in order to sell them. And when, when, when similarly, similarly, we give what God has given to us. Our treasures are given to us by God so that we will sow, so that we will give. So God supplies us with seed. There's more, though. Same verse, Paul writes, he, he, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And then in verse 11, Paul writes, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Now these promises might seem perplexing. We might be asking like, what does Paul mean? It sounds like he's saying that, okay, God's going to multiply our seeds and multiply our treasures. He's going to enrich us. It sounds like he's saying God is going to make us richer if we give. Well, church, let me tell you, I think that is what Paul is saying, but I think the riches that Paul is thinking of are different from what we think of. When we hear the word riches, we think of material things, right? We think of money. We think of wealth. We think of, you know, if it's okay. God's going to make me richer. He's going to make me have more money. He's going to make me have more stuff. No, the riches that Paul is talking about are spiritual. They're not material. Paul writes in verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. We will be enriched to be generous. Paul is saying that our seed for sowing, our treasures will increase, not because God is giving us more wealth, not because we're getting all this stuff from God, but because we will be giving of the wealth, we have more and more. He's promising the Corinthians, like, look, give, and God will grow within you a spirit of generosity. You will become more generous. And this is the harvest for the individual Christian that we will begin to be sanctified. And when we say sanctified, remember, we're talking about that process that God brings us through. God saves us by the blood of His Son, and then He starts making us into the image of His Son. He starts growing us into the image of Christ. And one of the ways he does that is through giving. As we give, we begin to step into the shoes of Jesus, who was the ultimate giver. Jesus gave his life. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us love. He gives justice. He gives everything. And as we give, we step into his shoes and become more and more like him. The more we step into the shoes of Jesus, the more our generosity will grow. It will, as Paul says, be multiplied. It will be enriched. Not because God is giving us more stuff, but because we are giving more. Now when I say that, my guess is that a lot of us in the room probably feel a combination of excitement and nervousness. Excited because we see a way to grow in our relationship with God. Giving. Okay, that's a great way to grow in our relationship with God and to become more like Christ. But we also get nervous because we start to wonder, what if God leads me to give outside of my comfort zone? And I think the Corinthians had similar feelings because if we jump back up to verse 8, Paul writes, 
a very encouraging word. He says, God is able, very encouraging. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I think it's definitely possible that some of the Corinthians, when Paul is asking them for this, this donation to this offering, they're, they're nervous about it. They're, they're, they're kind of clutching their money, which is their livelihood, and they're saying, I, I don't know if I can give to this. I mean, I know they're in need, but what happens if I give and then I become in need? Who's going to help me? And Paul is coming to them, and he's saying, God is going to make you sufficient. Maybe you have similar thoughts, thoughts like, I can only give what I have to spare. Or you might be thinking that you're unable to give because you just can't live less of a lifestyle than what you've got. You're unable to give more because you're unable to live without certain things. But Paul is promising the Corinthians, and he's promising us that God will make what you have sufficient for you. He says, God will make all grace abound to you so that having sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's saying, God will make what you have sufficient for you. Give. And that is sanctification. As our, as our spirit of generosity increases, our feelings of sufficiency do too. We recognize that what God has provided for us is sufficient for us. John Wesley, he was the, the Englishman who was a key leader who formed the Methodist Church. He recognized the sufficiency of what God had given him. Uh, as a student at Oxford, Wesley lived on 28 pounds per year. Now, this was in the 18th century. I don't know exactly how much money that is for us today in today's time here in America. But throughout Wesley's life, his salary increased as he became a preacher and traveled and did many different things. His salary increased throughout his life, as it does for most of us. By the end of his life, his salary had increased to 120 pounds per year. So from 28 pounds to 120 pounds. Pretty big increase. Still, though, Wesley lived on his original 28 pounds per year for his life. As his salary increased, he gave it away, every bit of it. That is the sanctification that comes from giving in action. Giving a little led Wesley to give more, and it led him to recognize the sufficiency of what God had already given him. He recognized that he didn't need any more. Giving sanctifies us. It shows us that what God has given us is good, and it leads us to be generous. That is the harvest for the individual, sanctification. But the harvest doesn't stop there. There is also a harvest for the church. Second sub-point, the harvest for the church. Giving blesses the individual who gives. It grows us into the image of Christ. But it also blesses the church body as a whole. Paul talks about this in verses 12 and 13. If We'll read these together. Verse 12, Paul writes, For the ministry of this service—he's talking about the offering, this service— is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. So what he's saying, he says two things. He says, this service, this offering is one, supplying the needs of the saints, so the needs of the church are being met, 
So that's the harvest for the church. But also, it is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So he's saying, look, the Christians in Jerusalem are praising God because they know that you are giving to them. You are meeting their needs. And this is leading them to praise not you, but God. God is being praised by our giving. Paul writes in verse 13, he says, they, the Christians, glorify God because of your submission, because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Church, giving is a powerful testimony to one another that God is moving in your life. So Paul is saying here, he said, he's saying that those Christians in Jerusalem are going to glorify God because they see that you, Corinthians, are submitting following God, and we know that because you're giving. So there's two, there's two takeaways from this. Number one, for Paul, and this is a hard one and a good one, a hard one and a good one. We're going to do the hard, bad news first, right? We'll do the hard one first. Number one, for Paul, giving of your treasure to meet the needs of the church is a sign of following Jesus. It's simple in Paul's mind. When we commit to following Jesus, our life reflects that. That's why when you join the church here at Fellowship, and, you know, we go through this in Discovery, we walk through these things, and this is, I pulled some of this from our Discovery booklet. When you join our church, you, you sign a member, membership covenant committing to give to our church. So if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a member of Fellowship Bible Church and you don't give to the offering, I would say an immediate application is to commit to giving and to consider why you don't. Because it's not because I'm saying it here, it's because Paul and God's Word is saying it here. Because as Christians, we are obligated to meet the needs of the church. So that, that's the hard one. The good news. Number two, giving should be an occasion for celebration. The Christians in Jerusalem are praising God because other Christians are giving. Christians should celebrate our giving. And we're going to do that now. We don't do this a lot as a church, but I thought, you know what? Paul says we should do it. We're going to do it this morning. So last Sunday, we threw an opportunity out to all of you. I don't know, many of you probably partook in it. We asked you all to purchase blessing bags for our Father's table. These are bags that are, it's, it's a full Thanksgiving meal. They're, they were $25 each. We gave you no heads up. We gave you like two hours to purchase these on Sunday morning. And man, you guys showed up. $25 each. You guys gave over $2,000 which allowed us to provide a Thanksgiving meal to families that would not have one to 87 families in this town. Wow. Praise God, right? Praise God, right? Yes. Amen. Now, and we can celebrate that. Why? Not because we, I mean, because we gave, that's good, but because that shows that God is moving in this church. This is what Paul is saying. He said, look, we need to celebrate that because that's saying God is moving. God is inspiring generosity in the hearts of the people of this church. And that's just one example. I could give so many more. One, another example I think of is every year the students go to Infuge. We, we take a mission trip. And every year, you know, I've always got students who are in need of money. And I'm telling you, church, that money just comes in from the most random sources in this church. I don't know who gives it half the time. But it's a testimony that God is moving in the hearts of of people and inspiring generosity. Praise God. So this is the harvest for the church. You know, one, our giving meets the needs of the church. We have to pay the electric bill. Otherwise, I'm up here in the dark and y'all can't see me. 
But it also encourages us because it just it's another tangible sign that God is moving. It's a way to encourage one another as the church. But the harvest doesn't stop there. There's one more area. The harvest for the world. Paul writes in verse 10, he says to the Corinthians, he says, God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will increase the harvest of your giving. He will bless your giving. He will bless your obedience in giving. So our giving will benefit us, it will benefit the church, but it will also benefit the world. I saw a story on Facebook, a fictional story on Facebook this week. One of you may actually have shared it. If I'm stealing it, I'm sorry. Uh, but it was a good story, and it applies. Uh, it, was a, it was a fictional story. A Christian man, Christian man named Carl, great name. Carl uh, sat down to talk with Jesus. Carl wanted advice from Jesus about something. Because Carl was starting his own landscaping company, and so he had a question. So he sat down with Jesus, and uh, he asked Jesus, Jesus, should I add a little fish symbol to the corner of my landscaping company's logo? Jesus looked at Carl and replied, to what end? The man said, obviously, so people will know they're dealing with a Christian company. Jesus replied, let's leave it off and see if they can figure that out by your workmanship, your work ethic, your customer service, and your honesty instead. Church, let's see if the world can figure out we're Christians, not just by our actions and words, which are so important, and I'm not discounting those, but also by our giving and our generosity. By our giving to the needs of the church and its members, by our generous tips to our waiters and waitresses, by our, by our donations to our great community fundraisers, fundraisers and organizations, giving is a powerful testimony to the world of the grace of God. And should not we who have received the greatest grace in Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, be the most generous givers there are? If we confess to have received the grace of God, let us put our money where our mouth is. And this brings us to our third and final. Giving flows from the gospel. We can give for a lot of wrong reasons. We can give to get glory for ourselves. We can give because it's culturally except suppose you're supposed to or we can give from the gospel Paul concludes his encouragement to the Corinthians in verse 15 he says this is a thanksgiving he says thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift thanks be to God for his gift so Paul's not talking about the offering anymore that's what he's been talking about this whole passage but he shifted Paul is talking about the Father's gift, which is Jesus. He's saying, thanks be to God for Jesus. Earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Church, Christ became poor so that we might become rich. He died so that we might live. He suffered so that our sins might be forgiven. Let us also make ourselves poor in order to make others rich in Christ. With the cross fresh on our minds now, let us consider how to steward our treasure. I've got three simple points of application for you. Number one, when you give, excuse me, give 
thoughtfully. Paul writes in verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. What this tells us is that giving is to be an intentional act. It's a decision that we decide. It's something we pray about, we think about, and we decide. It's not just giving whatever's left at the end of the month. It's not always just spontaneous. Spontaneous gifts are fine, but there is an element of giving that needs to be regular. It's a choice. And if we want that sanctifying harvest we talked about, we each need to decide how much to give and how often. Now, how do we do this practically? Here's how. This is what Julie, my wife, and I do, and uh, I commend it to you. When, when you set out your budget for the year, for the month, for the week, however, however you do it, you make giving the first line on your budget. Before you get to anything else, you make giving the first line, and you pray, and you decide how much are we going to give. And Julie and I, what we do, we break it up even further. So, like, we have one category that's giving— um, but it, within that, we have giving to church, giving to, uh, we support an organization called International Justice Mission, and then we also have a fund that's just kind of like blessing giving. So like, if someone has a baby and we can take them a meal, it's money for that, or it's, uh, if someone, uh, we know someone's got some medical bills they need help with, um, we have a line for that, but it's all in that category of giving. We decide this is how much we're going to give, and then everything else fits in under that. So number one, give thoughtfully. Number two, give prayerfully. It's so easy to let giving not be a special thing, to not let it be this sanctifying experience. We have kindred here at our church. It's a blessing. You can go online. You can sit on there. It's so easy to donate. You can even make it a recurring, uh, a recurring gift. So you just don't even have to think about it. And it just pulls out every month, and it's, it's very convenient. The only problem is that giving then can become automatic. You might even forget that it's you're giving. That money just disappears every month. And if that's the case, my challenge to you is this. When you give, whether you do it online or you do it in the offering box, pray over it. Don't just say, oh, there goes our offering, or it's time to give our offering, but take a moment with your family by yourself. Pray over that money. Pray that God would bring a harvest from that money. Pray that God would save souls, would nurture souls in this church. Pray that the needs of the church will be met and that the church will be grown by that money. So give thoughtfully, give prayerfully. Number three, give generously. Some of you may be like me. I'm one of those people that's like, hey, give me a number. Just g give me a number for what I'm supposed to give. Well, C.S. Lewis has a great quote for that in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So in short, give sacrificially. To give generously is to give of your means and to give sacrificially. Everyone in this room has different means. We have different jobs. Some of us, whether you make $20,000 or $200,000 in a year, give generously according to your means. And if you're looking for a starting place, start with 10%. There are some biblical texts that kind of put that forward as a starting place. But remember, the ultimate standard of giving is the cross, where Jesus gave it all for you. God has been so generous to us in Christ. So let us be generous in the same manner with our treasure, which is from him. I want to conclude this morning with a, a realization my wife and I had this past week. If I can be vulnerable this morning with my church family, it was honestly a really tough week for us. Um, Many, if not all of you know, we are currently trying to adopt. We've been a waiting family for just over a year now. 
And so, you know, adoption has been a beautiful journey. We're excited to be on it. Uh, about a few weeks ago, we were, we were matched with an expecting mom. We were told, uh, we, she, uh, she chose us, she said, uh, so we were expecting to welcome this baby into our home soon. And uh, so we kind of mentally and emotionally and joyfully prepared ourselves for that. And then um, earlier this week, beginning of the week, we, uh, we heard um, that through just kind of some bizarre circumstances that I can't divulge because of privacy reasons, that the baby was not coming to us and that it wasn't going to work out. And so we've kind of been in this week of grieving and just missing that child. Um, even though we never saw the child, we never held the child, we were ready for it and we were committed to it. And so we, we've kind of been grieving this week. And as we've done that and as we've processed through our feelings, one of the things we've recognized is that, like, one of the reasons why we're so frustrated and so, um, so broken by this is that we, we, f we look at our home and we say we've got a fridge with food in it and we've got a bank account with uh, money in it. We've got hearts ready to love. We've got a house with heat on. And we can't give this baby a home. We can't do it. The circumstances won't allow. And that has been so heartbreaking for us. And the thought occurred to me while I was preparing this church, what, what if that was how we all felt when it came to giving? What if we were so generous? What if we allowed God to build that generosity in us so much that we, couldn't, that we gave so much that we could not give anymore and were grieved by it? How different would the world look for Jesus if that was how our giving functioned? How different would the world look, I wonder, if we gave for Jesus until we solemnly had to close our wallets because we just couldn't do it? Let us pursue that, and let us keep our eyes on the cross as we do so. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the grace that you have given all of us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, thank you for the blessings that you have given us on top of that. You have blessed us with material possessions and money, resources to live on, resources to provide for our families, and we are so thankful for that. Father, this morning my prayer is that all of us, including myself, that we would, we would seek to steward these things that you've given us well by giving of them well. You've given them to us to give of, not to keep all for ourselves. Father, I pray that you would lead each of us by your spirit to discern how we are to give, where we are to give. And Father, I pray that we would do it not because, I, not because Sam got up here and said we're supposed to, but because we acknowledge that you have given us everything. You have given us a life beyond this life. You have given us hope. You have given us joy. You have given us peace. You have given us love unconditional. May our giving be a response to that. Father, we love you and we praise you, not because you've given us so much, but because you've saved us. I pray that we would use the blessings we have to